0: So motherhood has to be one of the most unique and challenging occupations on planet Earth, if not the most unique and challenging. Now, of course, we as dads have some challenges too, right? Like we we got some important things to do as dads, right? We like to think so anyways. But when I look at what Leanne does for our family and what she has to deal with, I can't help but be amazed. When I think about the fact that Not only did she physically carry these children to bring them into life in the first place, then give birth to them from her own body, then it's not as though her job was done after that either, was it? She carried on to nurse, to care for them, and as they grow, she also has to deal with their shenanigans on an ongoing basis. Every single day, in fact. And so, um, let me just give you one example of those said shenanigans. You saw a small snippet of it here this morning, as only my boys could think of karate chopping each other with a salute. But uh, another small example. Just uh, a week ago, my oldest son, who shall remain unnamed to protect the guilty, well, he absolutely loves hot chocolate. And so, just a few days ago, he decided that he was going to get up early one morning and he was going to make hot chocolate for himself. Now, he's done this before, so it wasn't like totally out in left field for him to go and make hot chocolate for himself, but rather than adding some milk to an already hot boiled water, he decided that he was going to speed things up. And he was going to skip a step by pouring the milk directly into the kettle. Now think about that for a second, and needless to say, things didn't go quite as smoothly as he thought. And I awoke to the sounds of yelling when Leanne entered the kitchen to discover boiling milk literally erupting from the kettle all over the kitchen. So that was just a few days ago. Today, whether young or old, we want to take a moment, though, to thank our mothers For putting up with all of our shenanigans. And I need to say that to my mom as well. Thank you for putting up with our shenanigans and loving us, anyways. That is the gift of a mother. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, each one of us as children can think back to moments in our lives where we drove our mom crazy through something that we did, through something that we said, through something that we broke. And yet we thank you that in our mothers we saw what a little glimpse of unconditional love looks like. And we thank you that in that little glimpse of unconditional love, we see what you look like. You are perfect. And we thank you that in you we find unconditional love and that one of the ways you have chosen to express that to us is through our mothers. And so we thank you for that today. And now as we enter your word, I pray that you would encourage each one of us here today and especially mothers on this day. And we ask that you would bless your word and speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the early days of the 4th century church, there was this pagan philosopher named Libanius who actively argued against Christianity. However, Libanius grew increasingly frustrated in his efforts to argue against the Christians and to push back their ever-growing movement. In fact, he found the more he argued against them, the more they seemed to grow. Now, one of Libanius's principal opponents was a man by the name of John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom was the archbishop of Constantinople and an important early church father known principally for his powerful preaching. Investigating Chrysostom's life, looking for some dirt that he might possibly use against him, Libanius learned of John's mother, named Anthusa. And what he discovered about Anthusa was that she was known to be such an incredibly godly woman and devout mother that he just couldn't believe that such a woman existed. And finally, throwing up his hands in utter despair, Libanius cried out in frustration What women these Christians have! What women these Christians have! Indeed, it makes one wonder where the Church of Christ and the spread of the gospel would be today if it were not for the incredible influence of godly Christian mothers upon their children. Now, for those of us who are present here today who are blessed to have had such a mother, we echo the words written in Proverbs 31, verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. But now, of course, not everyone is blessed to be born to a godly Christian mother, one who is able to introduce them to the Lord Jesus from an early age, and then help them nurture that faith towards maturity. But thankfully, in many such instances, the Lord graciously brings someone else, and often that can be a godly grandmother someone else into their life to introduce them into that personal relationship with himself through faith. But even so, I believe that God's ideal, his perfect design, is still for every child to be raised and nurtured in the faith by a godly Christian mother and father. And so that is what we aim ourselves towards, is God's ideal, recognizing that we do so in a fallen and broken world. However, I want to make sure on one point this morning that when you hear me speak about the ideal, of God's ideal of being a godly mother, do not mistake being a godly mother for being a perfect mother. I think too often these things get mixed up, and and I know a lot of moms feel a lot of external pressure, and so this is not an external pressure you need to add to that from God's word this morning. Remember, the only perfect one is Jesus himself. But if you have placed your faith in the perfect one, in Jesus Christ, then that means his indwelling presence within your life is what will continually transform you into greater godliness, which means simply to become more like God. So to be godly is to be more like God, our creator. It's, and through Christ, he is the one who enables this. And so it's also through Christ and his gracious presence that when we inevitably fail and when we lose our temper and when we blow it and and utter words in anger, it is still he who will graciously pick us up and restore us back onto the path of godliness when we fall short. And so my aim on this Mother's Day is to first honor all of the godly mothers who are so instrumental in passing along the Christian faith to their children. And second, to encourage the mothers listening today to continually keep growing into the godly mother that the Lord desires each one of you to be. And so to that end, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16 and verse 13. Here, this is a rather obscure passage that most of us will overlook if we're studying Romans. It's just a list of Paul's greetings to people that he knew as he's concluding his letter to the Romans. But here in verse 13, we find an interesting little detail from Paul's life that is often overlooked, someone you may have never heard of before, and that is someone who was the mother to the Apostle Paul. Paul writes, verse 13, Greet Rufus for me, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been such a mother to me. Now, that's it, just a short verse, but it begs some questions, doesn't it? Now, Paul wrote these words some 30 years after his conversion on the road to Damascus. So, three decades have passed since he first was blinded by the Lord's light. And over the course of those three decades, Paul made many missionary journeys. They took him all over Europe, all over the Middle East, and along the way, he made many, many friends. But Paul had a long memory for old friends that he made on those journeys. And as he writes this letter to Rome, he remembers some who are now living there. And he mentions Rufus and his mother. Now Paul refers to Rufus as the Lord's hand-picked one. Stating that, of course, we are all chosen by the Lord, but in this reference, it shows that he was handpicked for an important ministry, likely serving in the church in some leadership capacity. So he speaks very highly of Rufus. But then he also says, greet his mother as having been a dear mother to him as well. And so clearly, we see from this verse that Paul knew Rufus and his mother very well. He was intimate with them. They were close to him. But with not any more details given in this passage, it begs the question, who exactly were Rufus and his mother? How did Paul meet them? And why did he become so close with them? Well, to discover those answers, we must follow some clues through Scripture. Going back to the time of Paul's conversion to Christianity on the road to Damascus, we read in Acts chapter 9 that after becoming a Christ follower... Paul, who of course was then still named Saul. Saul suffered extreme persecution in Damascus, and he had barely escaped with his life. He then goes back to Jerusalem, where he had come from, and after a very cautious acceptance by the church leaders there, because remember, Saul had been a persecutor when he left, and now he comes back saying, hey, I'm one of you guys, they're not so sure about this, So they feel him out, but finally they they see this this change is genuine, a, a real transformation. And so after this, Saul begins to boldly proclaim Jesus as Savior to the Jews. And so we read in Acts chapter 9, verses 29 to 30, what happens next. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea And sent him off to Tarsus. So now, here we see right at the beginning of Paul's Christian life, he's just had this radical conversion to Christ. The shoe is on the other foot, so to speak. He's gone 180 from being the one who was trying to kill and imprison Christians to now being the Christian that others are trying to kill. Just like that. Talk about a complete reversal. You know, after having been instrumental in chasing others out of town it's now Saul who has to get out of dodge so to speak and so the other brothers say all right Saul it's too hot for you here they've already tried to kill you once we don't know how they attempted it but it was an active real attempt on his life and so they say you're getting out of here they take him up to Caesarea which was the major port they put him on a ship and sail him off to his hometown in Tarsus And so now we see that after this whirlwind start to his faith, Saul was now alone in Tarsus. His old life and friends are gone, and they're not coming back. More than that, we have to remember that Saul was a Pharisee. He called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was in the upper crust of the religious class in Jerusalem. And so it's his old buddies and the Pharisees and and the Sadducees and, and everyone of the Sanhedrin, who he once was respected as one of the elite, who are now actively trying to kill him. On top of that, it's highly likely scholars believe that his own Jewish family, likely including his own parents, and quite possibly his wife, will have disowned him. And we know that because Pharisees needed to be married. And so it's likely that in this radical conversion, they could not accept this new radical Christian that he was. And so getting out of Dodge, out of Jerusalem, shipped off, everything of his old life is in the rearview mirror. They have disowned him, and many want to kill him. In this setting, we can well imagine that Saul was probably feeling very lonely and probably discouraged. A difficult moment. And at the same time, other Christians in Jerusalem were also fleeing elsewhere because of the increasing persecution. Some of them went north to the Syrian city of Antioch where a great revival soon took place and a church was established there. And in fact, Antioch, you may know, is the first place that followers of Jesus were called Christians. And so Antioch became sort of a hub of the growing Christian church. And so when this revival took place, Barnabas, who was in Jerusalem, was sent there by the other apostles to go and investigate the revival, and upon investigating, he realized that this would be a perfect fit for Saul. He could come here and establish himself as a teacher and establish the church. And so Barnabas travels over to Tarsus. He searches Saul out and he brings him back to Antioch with him, where they spend the next several years teaching the new believers. Now in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, we read this about the church leadership in Antioch. Acts 13 verse one. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers: Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So Saul is, of course, the apostle Paul in the church leadership there in Antioch. Now of course, we know all about Barnabas, but we don't know very much about the other men listed in the church leadership. So I want you to take note of the one who is called Simeon, called Niger. Now you may know that Niger is the Latin word for black. And so it's clear that this Simeon would have been of African heritage and dark-skinned. So he was known as Simeon the Niger. There is another man in scripture who is also, we know, dark-skinned. And that is Simon of Cyrene, the man who carried Jesus' cross. Now, the ancient city of Cyrene was near the location of the modern-day city of Tripoli in North Africa. Now, according to early church traditions, Simeon, called Niger, and Simon of Cyrene are, in fact, the same man. And so, Simeon is a derivative in in, uh, the other languages of Simon. The two are interchangeable. And so it is believed by the early church fathers that Simeon called Niger and Simon of Cyrene were one and the same. And if that is in fact the case, we now come to the final piece of the puzzle. Mark chapter 15 and verses 20 to 21. I want you to turn there and look at this verse. It's in the middle of Christ's passion. Mark chapter 15 and verses 20 to 21. Jesus has just been flogged by Pontius Pilate. The sentence has just been issued. Take him and crucify him. And this is what we read happens next. Verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, were you paying attention? Did you catch that? Simon is named as the father of Alexander and who? Rufus. We see the same name mentioned. Now, why would have Mark randomly inserted names of people that were not known to the early church? He wouldn't have. It was context. They wanted. He wanted to make known to who he was writing how to place who this Simon was, that he is the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, of course, recall what Paul wrote in Romans, greet Rufus for me. And now again, according to early church tradition, Rufus, the son of Simon, and Rufus, who Paul greets in Romans, are one and the same. And so when you take all of these pieces, like a puzzle, and you fit them all together, it appears highly likely that Rufus' mother who became like a dear mother to the Apostle Paul himself, was none other than the wife of Simon of Cyrene, the very man who carried Jesus' cross on the road to Golgotha. A small world, isn't it? But isn't that incredible, these details and how they all fit together? And so now the picture begins to emerge that when Paul arrived in Antioch, in that early instrumental point in his new faith and walk, it was they, that family, Simon and his wife and Rufus, who would have been among the first to welcome him and in all likelihood took him personally into their home. But much more than just a place to rest his head, a place to sleep, it's very clear that Paul was welcomed in a very real way into their family, into their hearts. For there we see this nameless woman, her name is not given, The wife of Simon, the mother of Rufus, who became like a dear mother to Paul. So here we see that having lost his friends and family back in Jerusalem all for the sake of Christ, it was there in Antioch that Paul found new friends and a new family in Christ, including a mother who I'm sure cared for him in that special way that only a mother can. And Paul never forgot that blessed ministry to him, that gracious hospitality, that big heart, the kind voice, and I'm sure many good meals. There would have been nights that Simon and Rufus and Paul will have sat down to discuss the Lord and the work of the church, and quite likely special moments where perhaps Simon spoke of being there firsthand to see Jesus in his suffering, and not even understanding at the time what a privilege to being able to bear his cross for him and there around and about them was that mother's sweet presence an influence and encouragement and a blessing so special that some 30 years later paul sends a personal greeting to her as a dear mother to him what an incredible legacy this family created for itself the father carried jesus cross the son is named especially chosen in the Lord, and the mother lovingly cl- cared for the Apostle Paul and became like a mother to him in the process. When every other door was shut to Paul, the mother of Rufus opened hers, and she ministered to his needs. She cared and loved as only a mother can. She preached the gospel by her deeds of love and her service to her family and to others including the greatest missionary and author that the world has ever known, the Apostle Paul. And it begs the question, who knows what the world and the Church of Christ owes to one godly mother whose name is unknown? Who knows what influence she had for the kingdom, and yet we can see from this one verse that it was significant. What a wonderful example of the incredible influence and blessing of just one godly mother. So mothers, today I want to encourage you, please, please never underestimate the importance of your role within the body of Christ. Though it may not come with much fanfare or recognition, even here in this text we see her name is not given, the godly mother has as much impact on advancing God's kingdom, I believe, as the preacher or the missionary. And it is he who will bless and reward each mother for faithfully doing her part. There is yet another often overlooked example in Scripture of the importance and influence of a godly mother upon her children. I invite you to turn there with me to 2 John. Here in 2 John, we see another example of an unknown anonymous mother a woman who clearly had significant impact on the lives of her children her church and also the apostle john it's a very short personal letter only 13 verses long but i want you to take note that it's addressed specifically to a mother and the greeting in verse one states this to the chosen lady and her children whom i love in the truth Now, in that context, we can see three key roles that John highlights for the mother to whom he is writing this personal letter. The first thing we see him emphasize is to teach her children to walk in the truth. In his opening greeting through verses one to three, we see that John mentions the word truth no less than four times. Then in verse four, he adds a fifth emphasis on the truth by writing this It has given me great joy to find some of your children. Walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. Now, walking in the truth means not just knowing the truth, but living in the truth. Walking is an action. It's not, it's not sedate. It's not sitting in the truth. It's walking in the truth. It's much more than just teaching Bible stories. It's also explaining what they mean, the deeper truths, and then how to apply them to life in practical ways. And it is in this full sense that the mother's example of herself walking in the truth is so important. There's a great story that's told about four preachers discussing the merits of the various translations of the Bible, and they were getting into all the different particulars about Bible translation. One said, he liked the King James Version because of its simple and beautiful English prose. Another liked the American Standard Version best because it was the closest to the original Hebrew and Greek. Still another liked the contemporary NLT because of its up-to-date vocabulary. But the fourth minister stayed silent throughout this debate. And finally they pressed him on, which translation do you like best? And finally he said, I like my mother's translation best. And surprised, the other men said, we didn't realize your mother was a scholar, that she had made her own translation. And he replied, yes, she had her own translation. She translated it into life. And it was the most convincing translation I ever saw. That's what it is to walk in the truth. We can debate words on a page, but how much more important is not living them out in our daily walk? And so number one, John emphasizes to this mother, Teach your children to walk in the truth and exemplify that. Secondly, he emphasizes to her to teach her children to walk in love. Verses 5 to 7, he writes, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command... Is that you walk in love. Now, John ties walking in love together with walking in obedience. This, of course, goes back to Jesus himself when he taught on this. He taught that to love him is not just about fuzzy feelings, but about obedience. To love him is to obey him. So, to claim to love Jesus, but then to walk in continual disobedience is not loving him at all. True love must be expressed in action, in obedience. And mothers are uniquely positioned to demonstrate more tangible love to their children than any other person on planet Earth. This isn't by mistake. This isn't by coincidence. This is by God's design. Think about it. Every meal, every packed lunch, every load of laundry, every band-aid applied, (laughs) everything that is done that we could go on listing, every story read, is an act of love in action. It is tangible. It is real. It is walking in love. Now, as moms, I recognize that it may not seem like your kids are paying much attention to all of those things that you do for them. But being a godly mother to your children, remember, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And by God's grace, by God's power, he will use your love to teach your children to also walk in love and further God's kingdom. Dr. Campbell Morgan, a famous preacher of his time, writes in his biography that he had four sons and all of them grew up to become great preachers just like their dad. And one day as the family was together, all five of them, the youngest son asked the question of his father, Dad, who is the greatest preacher in our family? He, of course, was asking it as a little bit of a joke And so Dr. Campbell Morgan looked hard at each one of them in turn and also, with a twinkle in his eye, replied, Your mother. And isn't that the truth? You can have a family of preachers, but if there's not a godly mother in there, where would they have come from? A godly mother. The greatest preacher in the family. Teach them the way of love and walk in it. Number three. This is the main emphasis that John wanted to relay in his letter to this mother. Number three, mothers, guard your children from deception. Guard your children. In verses 7 to 9, John warns them to watch out for deceivers and false teachers. Then in verse 10, referring to those deceivers, he concludes with this instruction, Do not take him into your house or welcome him. Now, there are more deceptions being hurled at our children every single day than we could possibly have time to name. But while we can't root out all of the deceptions from our world and our culture around us, we do have direct control over what we allow into our homes. And today, that is more often going to be less about actual people that we physically let into our homes, as it will be the sort of media that we allow into our homes, I'm talking about things like TV, Netflix, Internet, social media, YouTube, video games. These are all influences that are being brought into our homes via technology today. And so I believe this admonition to mothers to guard your family, do not let the false teacher, the deceiver into your home, also applies in this context today. Now, of course, every mom knows how popular being the gatekeeper makes her, right? Every every mother here knows how popular she is with the kids when she says, "No, you can't watch that." "No, you can't have a cell phone." "No, you can't buy that video game." Kids don't usually react that well to that. At least I didn't. But it's absolutely vital that mom and of course dad are actively aware of and moderating what their kids are being influenced by through the media. You see, the enemy is cunning. And while many parents think, our kids are safe, we're all at home under the same roof, I know where they are, they're in their bedroom, and they're not out in the street. But what they don't realize is what they are viewing in their bedroom could potentially be more dangerous than being out in the street. So be engaged, be aware, and do not welcome it into your home. There's a well-known story of a girl named Anne who was always embarrassed and uncomfortable whenever she was present as her mother served tea to the ladies. And the reason for her embarrassment, for her uncomfortable feelings around this, was that every time her mom stretched out her hands, you could see that they were scarred and ugly all over them. And one day, her mother became aware of her daughter's uncomfort and embarrassment over the scars on her hands. And so she sat little Anne down and told her the story of what happened. Anne, she said, when you were a little baby, there was a fire, and our home was burning down. I was outside when I realized that you were still in the house. I rushed in, and I went through the flames to find you. I picked you up out of the flames with my bare hands, and I rushed outside. I was able to keep you from being burned, but not my hands. Then little Anne, with tears in her eyes, cried out, Oh, Mother, they were burned to save me. I didn't know. Oh, how I love them now. And so, Mom, while your kids may temporarily resent you for guarding them today, Lord willing, someday they will understand and thank you for it. So, Mothers, may you today be encouraged to continue by God's daily grace, To teach your children to walk in the truth, to teach them to walk in love, and to guard them from deception of the enemy. And finally, whether your children are young or old, never underestimate the power of your influence and loving care upon them. It is not forgotten. The Apostle Paul did not forget about his spiritual mother who nurtured him all those years later. And nor will we forget the godly influence of our mothers and our godly grandmothers upon each one of us, and the blessing of our families and the blessing of this Christ church. This is God's design, and we honor him for it. Your influence is tremendous. For as the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, "Oh mother, mother, if you had not been the woman you were, I would not have become the man that I am. And I believe many of us would echo that same sentiment towards our mothers today. Let's bless them for it. Heavenly Father, today we do bless our mothers. And we bless your name for having given them to us. And we pray, Lord, an encouragement for each mother here today that they would not be daunted by this, this calling of being a godly mother, but instead to be encouraged that you are with them. This is your design, that you will strengthen them to become more like yourself as they nurture and guide their children towards you. And so, Lord, we pray for each mother here today and each family, each child that they represent, Lord, that whether young or old, we would be able to agree with John's words written all those years ago to that mother, that it gives us no greater joy than to hear that our children are walking in the truth. And so we pray to that end, Lord, that each one of our children would walk in the truth through a personal relationship with you, and Lord, we pray that you would work in and through each one of us to that end. Thank you for this time we've had to worship you together today. and We pray now a blessed day ahead for each family as they gather, and may each mother feel your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.